you know, 4 a.m. sitting there with all the staff and my eyes were just wide open talking to these, these older professionals that had been in the industry for a long time and, and one of the guys said to me, you know, you could, what are you doing with your life? And I said, oh, maybe I'll go to uni, I don't know, I'm just doing a job. And he said, you could make a career out of this, this, this could be your career. And, and I laughed at him, I said, I'm not going to do this, are you kidding? Um, yeah, and that was, you know, that was over 20 years ago. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Creating a local restaurant that meets the needs or enhances the offering for the community is not an easy task. Most restaurants take years to fill their bones out and find their identity. But when COVID hit, most had to rethink how they engage with the community and what a sustainable local restaurant looks like. What impact has the events of the last year had on the humble local? RJ Lyons is the chef and co-owner of One Penny Red and Vernon's Bar in Summer Hill. RJ, it's great to have you here. You've got one of uh, Sydney's very best local restaurants. And during this time, there's been talk of the CBD restaurants really taking a big hit and people being uh, working from home and um, supporting their local restaurants. Well, what's it, what's the experience been like for you at One Penny Red? Been a, a, a strange year as it has for everybody, um, and everyone's been facing their own challenges. Um, we've really felt for our for our friends in the in the CBD district, who've probably struggled harder than most, um, especially the the, the neighbourhood restaurants. Um, for us, you know, it's. We, we had our challenges and uh, and hurdles and we've made quite a few substantial changes to our entire business which uh, you know was a gamble at the time a, a huge gamble um, reinvesting money that we you know probably didn't have and uh, you know uh, and and putting that towards some steps that we were really banking on 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 changing things that were going to make things better for us and and luckily for us, with our local community and 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 the, uh, the the customers that we have, they 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 helped us as well. To, to they really rallied around us and supported us, and and that's what what got us through. Is there a different feeling? One penny ready. One pen, one penny red is really part of the community there in Summer Hill. But was is there great, that greater sense of community since what's happened? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, we're incredibly gracious um, to to all of our locals and our regulars and, and even the people that that have come you know that travel from from far and wide um it yeah look it, it strengthened the community and and there was a fantastic uh, bond i guess that that was formed during the covid months in in lockdown um when we went into the takeaway uh we, we went really hard and and you know people were just there was a certain calmness and um, gratitude from people as well that um, that I'd never seen before uh, you know everyone was probably a little bit more patient and understanding and and also willing to to get behind us and 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 help us out and and we were in- incredibly humbled by the experience and and we feel very lucky we can go through uh, your career in a little while, but it, it's really been dotted and highlighted by some amazing uh, local restaurants mm. that have had a major influence in Sydney. Was was that something that um, 
you aimed at doing working in these sort of businesses or was it just something that happened? It was probably a, a natural um, progression, I guess. It, it you know, and something that you, as time goes by in your in your career, you you, you start falling into grooves that that end up um, carving your, your your career in the end. But you know, I, I probably when I started taking chefing seriously, it was it was long grain, which was um, you know back in the back in the day with with Marty and and Dorothy and 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 it was a it was a machine um you know Louis was there and um some some fantastic chefs and it was it was an absolute monster a, a, a fantastic monster but a monster and um you know after that I, I left and went to to the Glebe Point Diner which was um a fantastic little local that had that was just opened up with with Al um probably joined I think three months after they opened and it was it was so incredibly different to to the behemoth of, of long grain um, being a, a small local you know forty seater um, sort of that paddock to plate um, philosophy that was that was very up and coming at the time probably around two thousand and six I think it was um, yeah and from there sort of you know hopped around to another couple of um, local neighbourhood restaurants as well and and and. Yeah, that's. I guess that's that's where I, that's the the path that I ended up taking. What's the secret to creating a great local uh, restaurant? You know, one penny red could stand on its own in probably any suburb in any city. It's 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 a cracking restaurant, but there's elements that really need to work within a community. What what, what do you focus on? I think one of the biggest things is is understanding your demographic. Um, knowing who your customer is, who your who your bread and butter is, and catering for them, but also uh, not um, you know like staying true to what you want to do and and what you believe in as well. You you don't want to you know just do something predictable and easy. You know you still want to challenge people and and perhaps open them up to some new ideas and new flavors um, that that maybe you know people aren't too used to um i I certainly think we we're not uh the kind of restaurant that's trailblazing in the type of food i I think the food and and the service and the atmosphere and the the whole experience of one penny red is is quite a humble um you know organic you know we like to engage with people we like to to provide a comforting nice warm service and, and atmosphere and food and dining and wine um and i think we we just know who our market is, and that's that's probably the biggest the biggest hurdle to overcome in, in the early days, for sure. A little earlier, you said that you made some pretty dramatic changes to the business and had to reinvest to cope with the impact of COVID. But take us back to what you were offering before uh, COVID hit, and, and give us a picture of what uh, the offer was at One Penny Red. Yeah, sure. Look, uh, <clears throat> pre-COVID, um, it, we were. Uh, we were doing lunches Wednesday to Sunday. Uh, we did a local local lunch menu, which was two courses for thirty dollars. Uh, you know, lunches were a bit hit and miss in, in a neighbourhood area, um, but it was something that we we were persisting with. And then dinners were an a la carte experience. We used to do a, our set menu called Trust the Chef, which was hugely su- successful from day one. Where um, you know it was a five course tasting menu with a few specials some of the the things that people loved and and they could choose to have that you know a a bit of a no-brainer 
for the customer to just say, look, I'll go for the set menu and feed me. Um, and it was fantastic for us as well to, to play around with some new things. Um, and, you know, on a, on a busy night, we're a, we're a 40 seater and, and sometimes we'd push, you know, 120 covers on, on the big nights and wow. know, really pumping. And then we would have the bar upstairs, which was always a walk-in, casual, more of a bar menu uh, where, you know, people could order whatever they want or just have a drink. So that was pre-COVID and then uh, post-COVID, we've um, completely changed and turned the restaurant into a a four course or five course dining only. We've we've dropped our Wednesday, Thursday lunches. We've dropped the specials. Um, we've we've dropped our ten dollar muscle nights as well. All the things that we used to do that really, in a business sense, you know, probably didn't make money, but were things that we, you know, wanted to do and wanted to provide. We we were forced with no choice but sort of to to really streamline things and. And rethink um, how we could survive, especially at, on a on a limited capacity, because unfortunately, the way that you have to look at things is every seat has a dollar value. And if there's a silver lining in, in what's happened with COVID, it's that the restaurant industry. I, I'm hoping, you know, generally speaking, everyone knows now that there is a dollar value, and and we we have to. Uh, protect that dollar value we can't have these no-shows these cancellations and so so now uh everyone's that that dines for dinner downstairs they're on a four course or five course menu only um with with quite a few options and then the bar we we've extended into a, a little bit more of an a la carte dining experience so for the people that want to have a casual experience they can head upstairs and you can still get a you know a half a roast chicken or a burger or or whatever you mentioned some of the amazing venues that you've uh, been part of in your career, but take us back to when you first got interested in food and and started a career in hospitality. Yeah, look, I'm I'm a guess I'm a bit of a trader because I started uh, front of house. Um, I actually was a, was a bar back in the late '90s, sort of 2000s, back at at the basement, um, which is now you know down at Mary's Circular Quay. Um, yeah, a little bit of a rat bag in those days and working behind the bar and, and, and doing whatever I could to, to get behind the bar. You know, I, I used to clean out the spew and pick up the cigarette butts and <laughs> do whatever until I uh, finally became a bartender. And um, that, was, that was quite an experience. I actually remember going out to the now unfortunately defunct uh, Barons in King's Cross and, you know, 4 a.m. sitting there with all the staff and my eyes were just wide open talking to these these older professionals that have been in the industry for a long time and and one of the guys said to me you know you could what are you doing with your life and i said ah maybe i'll go to uni i don't know i'm just doing a job and he said you could make a career out of this 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 could be your career and and i laughed at him said i'm not gonna do this are you kidding um yeah and that was you know that was over 20 years ago where did where did you get a start in chefing like where did that begin for you i i sort of always did a bit of cooking on the side so i I used to bartend at night at the basement and i used to work at a a whole food uh, vegetarian cafe in in bondi and then from there um, traveled around europe did a little bit of both again bartending when i when i needed to bartend and i would cook when i needed to cook uh needed as in needed the money 
and could find the work. And so I always did a little bit of both. I ended up in Spain for a while, um, cooking in a little restaurant in the mountains. Um, and it was probably around then that I, I really realized that with the bartending side, for me, I felt like I didn't want to go any further in that direction or I, I didn't see much of a future for myself. So, um, you know, and, and the cooking was something that I was always had a natural ability for and, and always loved. So, I, you know, I came back home and, and started pursuing it. And that's, that's when I went to, to Longgrain in probably 2004, I think it was. I think one of the interesting things uh, along the path of your career is after your time with Long Grain and, and Glee Point Diner, you sort of dropped everything and headed overseas for a bit of a sabbatical and sort of took the deep dive into sort of organic produce and cooking in Italy. Can you tell us about that time? Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, that was a, around about 2008, just when the, the GFC hit and I had that, that dream of, uh, you know, living in Tuscany and um, working in a vineyard and um, you know traveling around and 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 I, I guess I was on a path of Italian food at the time especially coming out of the diner which was quite a heavily uh, Italian influenced restaurant um, I ended up woofing um, with the worldwide organic organization of farms I believe it is and uh, yeah I was I was working on an organic vineyard in in the outer region of Tuscany um, working on the land and I'd cook for all the all the workers, all the farmers in the day. So the nonna would, would come into the kitchen and, and we would cook a, a meal for 15 or, or 20 workers every day. And um, that was just a fantastic experience. And, and I did a little language course while I was there and I didn't speak much Italian and they didn't speak much English, but I guess, you know, cooking together and, and sharing wine at lunch and then, and then going back into the field and and harvesting the grapes, it, it was a fantastic time. And, and from there, just sort of travelled around to different regions in, in Italy, uh, down to the south, over to Sicily, Sardinia, everywhere, and just sort of did a few little stages in, in restaurants here and there. What sort of impact did that experience have on your approach uh, with ingredients in Australia? I definitely got a lot out of it. I, I also got to appreciate just how spectacular what we have at home is, I think. Sometimes, you, you know, we, we always have this idea that the grass is always greener. Um, and, you know, sometimes it is, but, but really, in, in retrospect, when, when I got home, I, I, I just realised, you know, Italy, the food, Europe, there's some fantastic produce, fantastic things, but, but also we, we have access to a lot of that here. We really do, and, and to embrace that was, um, was definitely a, a bit of a an eye-opening experience when, when I got home. I, I really understood that, that we have access to this amazing produce and, uh, you know, we, we cook Italian food incredibly well. Um, I probably thought that I was going to learn more than I did um, or that I was going to come away a little bit more enlightened than I did. I certainly was, but, but I really, I was, you know, I was quite humbled when I got home. I thought, wow, you know... We, it's all here. We've got it. One Penny Red is situated in a stunning old building in, in Summer Hill. Tell, tell us about how that all started and how you secured that site. Yeah, I was quite lucky. I, I, I guess I came on board a little bit later with um, One Penny Red. My business partners, uh, David and Nina, um, 
were well Nina especially was was good friends with the owner of the building who who approached her probably 10 years prior and and uh, Nina owned the the cafe across the road cafe envy and he said look I've got you know I've got this building I want to turn into a restaurant one day and I think at the time she sort of scoffed and laughed and uh, you know, said no way. <laughs> Probably you're crazy. Um, and then, you know, as time went by, fast forward ten or so years, everything the planets aligned. Um, David was on the scene, um, who had quite a lot of restaurant experience as well. Um, Nina also owned her her own businesses. David had owned his business before. He was involved in the wine industry, um, and I was in a time in my life where I'd left. Uh, Alex as well and, and uh, from the diner and I was trying to find my own thing. Um, I think David worked for DeCosti Seafood as a delivery driver and we met one day over a VB in the kitchen when he was uh, delivering at, at Christmas time, I think. And, you know, we, we shared a beer and had a chat and he, he remembered me uh, a couple of years later and, and rang me up and said, hey, I've got this site in Summerhill. I, I know you're, you're looking to do something. Come and come and check it out, and and I did, and I just I saw the site, and yeah, it was it was just amazing. It was a bit of a shell at the time, uh, obviously, and, and a lot of work went into renovating, you know, a hundred and twenty year old building to to what it is now. But we're we're incredibly lucky to have such a such a beautiful beautiful venue. Tell us a bit about uh, the site and and its history, and has there been challenges involved given how old it is? Yeah, definitely heritage listed. Um, so the, the 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 renovations took took years um, to to accomplish. Uh, yeah, so many hurdles to to jump over. Um, it it needed to be you know relatively gutted and and started from scratch. It had stopped being a post office, I think, in nineteen ninety six, um, and it was built in nineteen hundred. So. You know, since from '96 until until it opened as a restaurant in 2014, um, it had been operating as a, um, the owner had had a, a bicycle business that he was running out of there, and you know needed needed a, quite a lot of work done to it. Um, and yeah, uh, I guess it, he he was a, he's a fantastic landlord to have, and he he really had this dream of what it wanted to be, and. Um, and helped us, you know, turn it into what it is now. You mentioned that One Penny Red was the opportunity to find your own feed and have your own expression with your food. Um, talk us through some of some of your dishes to give us a sense of um, of what that means. I think yeah, I hate using the, the term produce driven because I think it's a bit overworked. But but you know, I, I don't know what else. It's the hardest thing when people, whenever you meet someone, they say, "What kind of food do you What kind of food do you do?" And I think whenever people don't know what food you do, they just say it's modern Australian. Um, I don't know what that is. I don't think we are modern Australian. We, we say we're probably a bit more contemporary, um, European. Uh, it's definitely, you know, we draw on, on, on classic influences, but we also like to, you know, put some um, recently more native ingredients on, on, the, on the menu. Um, I've got a Yoda smoker, which which came on board um, quite a few years ago. Um, so there's you know some smoked meats going on the menu, but we also use the smoker for uh, we smoke ricotta on there. Um, you know, smoked tomatoes, smoked 
fish carcasses to make a, a broth. We, we don't just use it to do sort of American style barbecue or anything like that. We use it as a, as a tool to incorporate into the menu in a subtle way, I think, which, um, which is quite cool. And that all started from when we, when we first opened, we, we, we did brunch and I wanted to make my own bacon. And I was, I was using a trash can as a smoker. And from, from the trash can, it, it, it gradually evolved into a, into a Yoda smoker. Um, but I definitely think that, that the food is, is unpretentious. It's, it's quite approachable. And it's definitely the food that a lot of chefs and um, I guess industry people really just want to eat. It's, it's, it's wine-driven as well. David's got a, a fantastic wine uh, background. And, and so the food and wine matching is, is quite a big part of what we do as well you know it's, it's geared up to be to be matched together and we, we do certain events with with food and wine and yeah i just think it's it's good wholesome nourishing um and it's got an, an ethical side to it as well we, we like to use small boutique suppliers and and use the very best of what we can and certainly something that's come out of covid with the set menu thing I've got a bigger budget to spend on food, which is fantastic. At the moment, I've got Glacier 51 fish on the menu. And, you know, a year ago, I, I would not have thought that I would ever been able to afford to put that on the menu, or maybe I would have been scared to do that. Whereas now, now it's on there and, that, and it's taken off and, and people are really embracing it. And that's, that's also fantastic. Well, it's an incredible fish, and as you say, it's um, it's a very different eating experience for those that haven't had it. What what are you doing with it? Well, my pasta boiler died uh, just at, in December, of course, when when you need it most, in, and <laughs> and we were left with this. With you know, our space is very limited in our kitchen; it, it's incredibly challenging and small, and um, you know we had to go for a month without the pasta boiler and then we sort of said well you know do you miss it does anyone miss it what do you reckon guys what if we get a hibachi grill so everyone was pretty keen on that so we we bought a hibachi grill and um and then now the toothfish is coming from from the grill and and that they it it's just a it's it's a fantastic combination that the the smoky charcoal flavor with that buttery um moist delicious fish it's it's incredible so it's quite simple it's it's just nicely grilled um toothfish with a with a green goddess dressing and and some charred leeks baby leeks you mentioned uh how much you've had to change the business and a more streamlined offering uh are the systems that are in place now are they much better than before and do you see that being vital moving forward oh definitely without doubt what uh, I think we, we were always trying to do a little bit of catering here and there. And, and, and that was, again, sort of something that was um, that we felt a demand for with, with the local and the community. And people really wanted us to do a bit of catering. And we, we tried and we probably, you know, tried to do it as best as we could at the time while we were managing the business. But when COVID hit, we, we had to really... Um, you know that was our that became our business was takeaway and catering so we were forced to do it so we, we reinvented our website and and did an online ordering system and uh you know looked at our packaging seriously and 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 redid menus and um you know did a effectively a sort of a side business within our business that um that is now you know we, we we've kept as well we're still doing takeaway a little bit 
Um, and when we had our sort of mini lockdown over Christmas, um, there was a spike again in, in takeaway sales and, and in catering as well. And without that, you know, that, that time would have been, it, it, you know, I, again, the, the, north, the north side, the, the, the suffering loss that they had, I, I can't imagine with, with, with the food and the waste and that would have crippled so many restaurants. And um, we, again, came out of it quite unscathed, but we certainly did lose a lot at that time. But we were lucky that we had this system in place with the, with the takeaway and catering that, that really helped us get through. The last year has been challenging for many, and you're no different. In, the, in even though restaurants in the suburbs have done a little bit better, what's it been like personally for you? I know you've become a father uh, during this time of the bushfires and COVID, and how, how have you felt during this time? Yeah, look, it it's been hard. Uh, <laughs> I won't lie, it, it, it incredibly hard. Um, I think everyone is experiencing right now at this minute an incredible staff shortage um which has sort of always been there but it's it's uh it's it's quite hard now and and it was hard during covid as well um there was there was a lot of things going on there's so much uncertainty um yeah uh and then on top of that dealing with uh lack of sleep and a you know, being a father for the first time, that was another dimension um, to add. But, you know, a, a fantastic experience. I love it so much. It, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's so awesome. Um, but, yeah, you know, like it, it, was a, it was a really hard time. And sometimes I think as a business owner, you sort of, you're, you're not allowed to be sick and you're not allowed to have time off. You, you just have to push on and, and push through and find that, that little extra something to to keep going and, and you need to be strong for everybody else in the team and, and show that strength because yeah every, everyone needs to get through you mentioned there's a greater sense of community uh, out of this and uh, the restaurant has benefited with that better connection what's some of the positives to come out of this experience for you and and, and what are you looking forward to over the next year I think I was able to connect a bit more with with the locals uh, you know, just seeing regular faces coming in during that time of, of lockdown, and um, I, I guess being in the kitchen, you sort of you, you don't get to engage too much with with the with the front with the front of house and with the with the customers that are coming in the front door. And during that COVID time, I, I was able to connect with with some of the locals and regulars and build up a bit more of a rapport and see them. And um, you know, and I still see their faces now and. Um, yeah, I think it was just a bit more of a relaxing um, time where we could we could have a bit of a chat and and there wasn't that barrier between chef in the kitchen and customer outside. Um, I certainly see that a lot more now. I think in the next, you know, this year and the next, um, what I'm looking forward to most is I've, I've just bought a prep kitchen, which um, I, I, you know is going to help us. Um, move forward with with the amount of the volume of food that we're producing now. Cause doing four course, five course, it, it's increased our um, our production quite a lot, um, and that's also just going to help us streamline things in the kitchen a little bit more. Um, you know, we're still holding our events, our, our monthly events, and seeing the same face, same faces coming in, and, and really focusing on the, on the catering and yeah, um, 
just moving forward. Well, mate, uh, love to have loved having you on deep in the weeds today. It's a it's a cracking cracking local, and um, the people in Summerhill are very lucky. Um, please keep in touch, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Amazing! Thanks so much for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>